theyeshiva.net. Okay, we're going to start today, Bezer HaShem Anumaymer, from Torah Ur, from the Balatanya. It's page 238. Since tonight is Rosh Chodesh Adar, Rosh Chodesh Adarishan. So we chose a Maymer of the Balatanya on the Megillus Esther, on the Pasuk, Vayikach Haman, Hashalavush Vesasus. Page 238 on the top, the first column, or the Kufyutes Amud Gimel, Kufyutes column 3. Vayikach Haman, Hashalavush Vesasus Chuli. In the story of Purim, the Megillah, there's the part of the story where Achashverosh, the king, is suffering from insomnia, he can't fall asleep. In chapter 6 of the Megillah of Esther. And we know the continuation of the story. They read from him, they read to him from the diary, say for Divrei of the king. And he wants to know how to reward the person, Mardukha, who saved his life from assassination attempt by Bixen and Seresh years earlier. And Haman walks in, and he thinks, when the king asks him how to honor somebody that the king wants, who the king wants to honor, he thinks it's talking about, he's obviously referring to him. And uh, that's when he uh, presents the grandiose plan of uh, dressing up this person with the cloak of the king, the levush of the king, placing on him the royal crown, and giving him a ride over on the horse of the king, and declaring, declaring his glory in the whole capital of Persia, the Persian Empire, which is Shushan. So the king tells him to do this with Mardukhai. So the He takes the cloak, the levush of Achashverosh, and the horse of Achashverosh, and he leads Mardukhai, the Jew, through the streets of Shushan, this is what is done to the person whom the king wants to honor and glorify. Hine, Amr Razal, the Gemara says, this is the beginning of Mesech Tesaita, of Dalad, Talmud Chachem Tzadach Shminis That's the expression of the Gemara. Talmud Chachem, which literally means, we'll soon see what it means, literally we translate usually as a Torah scholar. I said, Saita Dav Dalet Amad Aleph, Saita Dav Hei Amad Aleph. Just for those who look it up, Saita Dav Hei. Talmud Chachem Tzadach Liyas Bar Shminis Shabashminis. Gasas Haruach. Talmud Chachem has to have an eighth of an eighth of Gasas Haruch. Gasas Haruch is usually translated as a sense of pride, pride, haughtiness, arrogance. So generally, humility is a very praiseworthy trait. But a Talmud Chacham, the Gemara says, which means a little fraction, an eighth of an eighth of haughtiness, of a sense of pride. Shinemar. It's brought in Svarim on this, a Posik. Kuloi Sog. It's hard to understand what he means. The Marsha says over there, Kuloi Sog, Samach Gimel, how much is an eighth of an eighth? 64. Right? <coughs> an eighth of an eighth is a 64th part. The Posik in Tehillim has an expression. Kuloi sag yachdov. 
The word sog, like the word sigim in Lashon Kodesh, is dross, dirt, filth, sediments. So if it's Samach Gimel, if it's a 63rd part, that's apparently what he means, then it's sog, then it's dirt. But if it's only a 64th part, meaning it's even less, if you divide it into 63, if you divide arrogance into 63 parts, and he takes one part, then it's already sog. Certainly if he takes more than one part. But if it's only a 64th part, a shminis, shminis, an eighth of an eighth, then the Gemara says, Adirabah. It's a fine thing. Kulay sog. Oma'atrele, the Gemara continues. Oma'atrele kisasa l'shabulta. And he has to crown, crown himself with this arrogance, like a sasa l'shabulta. Sasalushabulta is the beard of a stalk of grain. On top of a stalk, it's called in Hebrew, it actually says skan hashiboilus, I think he puts it. The beard of a stalk of grain. If any of you have ever been to a farm or you had a farm, so you know that in stalks of grain, on the top of the grain, there is like uh, what looks like what would look like a beard. It's really an extra layer of uh, of husk of, of chaff that protects that protects the stalk. On top of it, it's like it looks like hair coming down. So it's called sasa, a zakin, a beard, l'shibulta to the stalk. That's how the Talmud Chacham should decorate himself with this sixty fourth fraction of arrogance, like the beard to the stalk of grain. That's the lot of Gemara says in sight. Lahavin hamashal kisasa l'shibulta. It's a very strange metaphor. The Gemara says, looking, first of all, what do you need a metaphor for? He has to decorate himself. With a metaphor, whenever Chazal give a marshal, it's because two things. First of all, the marshal conveys what they want to say in a very powerful way. And without it, you can't understand what they want to say. Because if you can understand it, you don't need a marshal. We learned the whole mind about Mishalim. This is a marshal. They give a metaphor because they want you to study the grain. And then you should understand what they're saying. What do you, what do you b'chal need a marshal for? So for this, you have to understand what a Talmud Chachem is. What is a Talmud Chachem? The reason a Talmud Chachem is called a Talmud Chachem. So generally, you'll ask somebody, what's the definition of a Talmud Chachem? So... You call a great scholar. So, if somebody, for example, is born with a higher IQ than other people, the person also likes to learn. We call in English a bookworm. Some people are social, more social. Some people are more scholastic. They like to learn and read. So, by coincidence and mazel, this person may be a great, great Talmud Chacham. They absorb a lot of information over the years and they steig away. And they have no interests but steiging. So this person is a Talmud Chachem. Sometimes you have a person who has to work on themselves more. But generally we understand Talmud Chachem in terms of knowledge, information, scholarship. Which sometimes is due to a lot of work of the person. It's always due to work. I mean, unless somebody's born, uh, you always have to work. But but sometimes it's due to a lot of work. And sometimes for some person it becomes much easier than for other people. And you really have to understand what this concept is. For example, when we speak about respecting a Talmud Chachem, covered of Talmud Chachem, covered of Torah, 
Is it just the information that the person has? Or it's more than that? So he says, you have to understand what a Talmud Chachem is. A Talmud Chacham means a student of Chachma. Talmud Chacham means, he, not a Chacham, you don't call him a Chacham, you call him a Talmud Chacham. He's a student of a Chacham. On a simple level, it means that a real Talmud Chacham is always a student. The moment the Talmud Chacham ceases to be a student, is Talmud Chacham. The moment you graduate from Talmud Chachem to Chachem, it's... Kaplash Machas is saying it. Talmud Chachem, he's always a student. But a student of what? Here he teaches more. It's a student of Chachma. He's Talmud Chachem, he's a student of Chachem. For who is... It's a little bit of a different definition of a Talmud Chachem. For who is... The definition of Chachma is what's called bitl b'metzias, complete nullification, to the light of infinity. In the writings of the Arizal, it's known that the ain't seif, infinity, is always manifested exclusively in chachma. Al-kein ikir inyin yichudei love, and yichudei tatoa, deyat hamad chachm dafka. So the primary manifestation of the higher unity of Hashem and the lower unity of Hashem, which are different states of consciousness of unity, is through the Talmud Chachem. Since he's a Talmud of Chachma, and in Chachma Ein Saif dwells, so therefore in the Chachma in him the Ein Saif could dwell, and he's a student of that. Generally speaking, there's different faculties of the soul. The first faculty, the first conscious faculty is called Chachma. There's Chachma, then there's Bina, then there's Das, there's Chesed, Gvura, Tiferes, Netzach, Malchus. Generally, the soul has ten faculties. The first one is called Chachma. What is Chachma? Chachma, we learned a few times. It's a combination of two words. Koyach, Ma. Ches, Chaf, Memhei. So ches and chaf makes up the word koyach, which is strength or the faculty, a koyach. And ma means what? Ma is what? Yeah. <coughs> koyach ma is the ability, let's call koyach the ability, to be able to ask and to say ma what? That's what chachma is. What's the connection to chachma? Chachma is considered the first spark of consciousness, the first glimmer that a person has when they're looking for insight or wisdom. For example, let's say you're, you're, you're in a state of uncertainty in your life, in your future, in your destiny. Or you're learning a text, you're learning a shtikla whatever you're learning, and you're stuck, and you don't understand it, and you learn it again and again, or you think about this again and again, and you don't have clarity. And then one moment you'll have what you may call an epiphany, it's like a lightning, like a, a light bulb goes off in your head, as they call it, like a lightning, like a baraka maverick, like a lightning goes off in your head, and you're illuminated. You still didn't figure it out exactly, but that moment, that epiphany, that spark of inspiration is called chachma. It's like a clarity that enters into you. You don't know where it comes from. It, it happens, you can never prepare for it. You can be walking in the street, 
sitting on a couch, somewhere completely unexpected. Boom, it just came in. And and it, it goes out as fast as it came in, much like a lightning. It's dark outside, there's a lightning, everything becomes light for a few moments, and then gone, lightning is gone. You have to take that information, or that spark, I should say, that epiphany, and then develop it, and internalize it, and crystallize it, which is how you get from Chachma to Bina. Chachma is compared to the Father, who produces the seed of life, the sperm, it shoots out, and then you have the mother, it's called Bina. Ema Bonam Smecha, the mother of the children. Chachma is called Abba, Bina is called Ima, father and mother in Zohar, and in Kabbalah, and in Chesidus, Sifir Machshava, and Ashkafa, because the father gives the seed, and then the mother takes it, and it fertilizes the egg, and then it can develop into an embryo, and develop into a fetus, and a full-fledged child, until there's birth, which represents the birth of emotions. So Chachma is the first spark, the first glimmer of consciousness. Where does it come from? It comes from a place that's unconscious. That's called Kayach HaMaskil, or Keser, as we will see, which is above Chachma. What happens in order for Chachma to occur? What are the moments that always precede the experience of Chachma? And the answer is Bittl, always. Bittl. Why can't I understand what I'm learning? I can't understand what I'm learning is because the concept is too deep for me, or the situation is too complex for me. It's overwhelming. My cup contains nine ounces. I'm talking about this cup. You put in a hundred ounces, the cup can't contain it. Sorry, the cup says, gone, don't come to me. This cup could contain eight ounces or nine ounces of water or coffee or soda. What if the idea is a hundred ounces? It can't go into the cup. As long as the cup remains a cup. The moment the cup breaks down its walls, it crumbles its walls, the walls of Yericha come down, it creates space for something that transcends it. Because this cup has walls, it has parameters that contain the water, and if you're giving me this measurement, this size, this volume, great. But if not, go to another cup. You're learning something. If you're reading something, you're trying to figure out, if you're reading something that um, you're very familiar with, you're not going to struggle. You don't need Chachmah. Because it fits right into your cup. But if it's new information, if it's new information, what do we tend to do? We tend to dismiss it. Right? It's one of the challenges that some people have at this year, for example. Like right now. Everyone is used to their Shalashudah's title that they grew up with. So you hear that again, it goes in. You like it, you don't like it, you're bored, you're not bored. You hear new things like, where is this going, where am I going? It takes a lot of humility to be able to open yourself up to completely new stuff. It's very, very humbling, because it's also contrary to human nature. That's what Chachma is. Chachma is the complete nullification, the complete suspension of an intellectual ego. The ability to be able to say what? Absolute curiosity and inquisitiveness that opens up the brain to something that previously transcended it. You'll see, whenever there's an epiphany, the person always, right before it, was completely engaged and immersed in the concept, usually unconsciously. You're walking in the street, you don't even realize that for the last five minutes you've been thinking about this, but you've been completely thinking about it with nothing else, and at that moment, 
it came into your mind. Why did it come into your mind at that moment? Because the person has completely suspended their self, their ego, their intellectual ego, lurking, yearning, searching to be able to understand the truth. So I'm learning a stick I'm frustrated, I'm annoyed, I read it again and again and again and again. And then at some point, I'm thinking about it, and I don't even realize I'm thinking about it. In other words, I'm not present in the process, and then suddenly it could come in from an unconscious place. It could cause it's there, the information is already there in me. It's just unconscious, it could come in into a conscious way in Chachmah. But at that point, it's still completely new. So that's why Chachma is the state of Bittl. Bina already is the assertion of self. Bina is taking the idea and integrating it into your own system. When it comes to Hashem, that's why it says in Kabbalah that Ein Soif dwells in Chachma. Because the definition of Chachma is it doesn't have an ego. So therefore, it doesn't have parameters to block infinity. Talmud Chacham means somebody who's always a student of Chachma, a student of Eitzayf. And therefore, Talmud Chacham is somebody who lives with complete bittel, with complete alignment and open to infinity. That's what a Talmud Chacham is. Yeah. yeah. Could learn from every person. The Ein Soif is represented by Keser, which is above Chachma, it's the crown. Sometimes it's called Ratzah in Desire, which is beyond Chachma. Uksiv, the Pasuk says, V'oir panecha ki ritzisa. So he teaches here the Lashon of Tehillim. Piru sheyesh oir shemeir leponim v'nikra ha'ores haponim v'zel b'oir panecha. We say in Sim Shalom, V'oir panecha nasata lano, the light of your face. V'huay dey ha'ratzah ki ritzisa. There's the Ur Panecha, the Ur, which comes to the Panim, Ha'aris Apanim, by Nubchines Eidin, Sof Shemir, the Panim, the Chachm, Lakach, Kiritzisa. With a Yoyer Hashem, Panavelecha, Vidaila Maven. Hashem should illuminate his face to you. This is what we call the Ur Panecha, Kiritzisa. That Kaiser is called Ratzim. And the Ur that comes into Chachma is this Ur of Ratzim. Chachma is called the face, the ponim, the pnimius. Yoyer Hashem ponoveilacha. His face should shine into you. This is where the Oyer Ratzin comes into Chachma. Vedaila Maven. He's not elaborating here in the concept of Ratzin and Chachma and Kasser and Oyer Just wanted to touch on it in order to get. This is the just the the first, the first uh, foundation and the building in the structure here. That this is the concept of a Talmud Chacham. He's Makabel, He's always a Talmud of Chacham. This is what the Gemara says, that this Talmud Chacham, a person whose Avedis Hashem is with love and awe, and Chachma, and Bittl nullification, he has to have an eighth of an eighth of haughtiness. Which apparently this is astounding. Why would the Gemara say that a Talmud Chacham has to have a Shminis Shibishminis? It's the exact antithesis of a Talmud Chacham. If the whole definition of a Talmud Chacham is Bittl, Ta'in Saif, complete oneness, complete alignment, nullification of the ego to infinity, 
that's the definition of a Talmud Chacham, comes the Gemara and says he needs a little bit of Gasas HaRuach. For this you have to understand the metaphor, what is the concept of the beard to the stalk. The stalk, the physical stalk of wheat has mites. Mites is chaff. Chaff is the husk, the klipa, the shell that protects the stalk of grain. Vinikris sasa. Generally, this is the term of sasa. Sasa we described before as the beard. So on the top of the stalk, you'll have like, you know what I'm talking about? You ever saw stalks of grain? You even see a wheat field, right? And you can see it looks like a berdala on the top. Looks like there's a beard growing on the top of the stalk. The whole stalk has a sasa, which is moitz. It's called chaff. So generally it's all called sasa because it is the protective mode, the protective layer around the actual kernels, the seeds which are contained in the chaff. Now, of course, the purpose here is to get to the seed, which is going to be ground, grind into flour. And then the flour could be kneaded with water, and you could bake whatever you want to bake, bread, etc. But you have the sasa, the nikris sasa, that's the moitz. The wheat itself, which means the wheat kernels, that's what it means, the wheat kernels inside, that's called shibailus. I'm sorry. Not the kernels, the kernels are inside. The stalk itself, inside the chaff, is called shibailus, the stalk. Wheat like all grain, like all produce, grows. You need a combination of sunlight, and you need water. The miracle of vegetation is that the seeds that we plant in the soil with a combination of air, obviously, and sunlight and water, it produces all that it produces. Exactly how it happens is quite extraordinary. But if a person plants the seed in the earth, and you have sunlight, and you have water, and you have air, of course, and you have soil, and you produce, it produces what it produces, whether it's grain, or legumes, or vegetables, or fruits, and all other forms of vegetation and produce. So you need the shemesh, sunlight. Without sunlight, it's not going to happen, and you need water, rain. Omnam, but here's the problem. And this is why nature developed. Hashem created nature in this way. Because as a result of the scorching heat of the sun, which strikes, which hits on the grain, on the wheat, it would have been scorched, and it would have been burnt up and destroyed. It couldn't survive. Conversely, through the abundant moist of the rain that falls and drips on the stalks of wheat, she would rot. When something is wet, it rots. And when something is very dry and hot, it burns up. It's scorched, it's consumed. So therefore we have a problem. Without sunlight and water, you can't have any growth. Nothing could come. Come out. On the other hand, with sunlight, you get the heat, you get the light but it would also burn it up, it would destroy it. Or with rain, you get the water, but it would become mold, it would rot away. 
and therefore you would never be able would never be able to develop as the edible food. For this reason, that's why every stalk of wheat is surrounded and encased by a moitz. A moitz is the chaff, the clip of the shell. Why? What does the moitz do? The moitz is essentially a guardian, it's a shoimer, it protects it. That the light and the heat of the sun should not be able to burn the wheat itself, nor should the abundance of water cause it to rot away, to become decadent. All the rays of light go through the mites. The, 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 the chaff absorbs the ferociousness, it absorbs the... the intensity of the heat, of the warmth, and the striking of the scorching heat, it also absorbs the full blunt of the rain, the moist of the rain that it shouldn't directly fall on the wheat itself. Until it becomes ripe, until it finishes growing, the chaff protects the stalk of wheat from the heat and from the wetness. What happens when the stalk becomes ripe? It finished growing now. Now what's the next stage? Now there's a process called disha. Disha is threshing. And what does threshing accomplish? It separates the moits, the chaff, from the stalk itself. What remains is the chita itself, the wheat itself. That's why we have in the Malachas of Shabbos, the, 49, the 39 labors prohibited on Shabbos. So the first one is, you have plowing, and you have planting, and then you have harvesting, right? And after harvesting, you have what's called Ma'amer. Ma'amer means you make bundles. You make. You remember Masech the Shabbos, the Malachas of Shabbos? Ma'amer. You make sheaves, you make bundles, because you bring them together. And then what's the next one? Huh? Dosh. Threshing. What is threshing? They used to do it with animals. Today they do it usually with machinery. After the Industrial Revolution, they introduced more machinery into the process. But for thousands of years it was done through animals. You brought your your ox, or your cow, or another animal, and they threshed, that's why it's called dosh, dosh literally means to trample, to step on the grains, on the stalks, and what would happen? In the process, there would be a little bit of a separation between the mites, the chaff, and the stalk itself. This is still not enough. Then you have, after dosh, you have, you remember what's after dosh? Zoira, winnowing. You have winnowing, and then you still have boirer, and toichen, and roiked, and then oifa, which means you winnow it. What they would do is they would now take it and throw it up into the air, and the wind would separate the lighter part from the heavier part. So that was the next process in separating the klipas, the husks, 
which are protecting the wheat and the kernels inside the wheat. And then there's boirer. After winnowing, you have boirer. What's boirer? It's on the ground, but it's still mixed with pebbles and dirt. and So you have to now separate the pebbles from the, from the kernels. Then you have grinding. Toichin. When you grind it, now you have flour. Now you sift the flour, merakeid. And then you have lush. You take the flour, you knead it with water. And now you have a dough. And now you could bake it. As the Gemara says in Shabbos, Sidura de Pasnakat. The first 11 malachas of Shabbos is the order of baking bread. If you don't understand the process of farming produce, of farming grain, it's impossible to understand the first 11 malachas of Shabbos. Present the first stage in birur, in separating the mites. That's what he says. This is reflected in halacha, in the halachas of mice. All grain, you're obligated to tithe. Part of it, a percentage of it, has to go for tzedakah. We have 2% which goes for truma to the kayan. 10% afterwards which goes for maiserishon to the levi. He also has to give 10% to the kayan, called truma's maiser. Another 10% which some years you brought to Yerushalayim and ate it there, or converted it to money and brought it to Yerushalayim and bought things there, which allowed Jews to spend time in Yerushalayim and build up the economy of Jerusalem. And some years, the last 10% went to poor people. When does wheat become obligated in Meisr? When? At what point? If it's still growing, it's not obligated in Meisr yet. If it's harvested, it's not obligated in Meisr yet. If it's put into bundles, it's not obligated in Maisa yet. When does the obligation of Maisa begin? It's called after Miruach. You know what Miruach is? <laughs> miruach is, huh? Smoothing. The smoothing of the carry. Carry is a pile, a mountain, a heap. After you did the malachas, after processing, what's the last thing you do after you did all the processing? which means you made bundles and you did the threshing and you did the winnowing and you did the selecting and you did the grinding and you did the sifting. What do you do now? Before the grinding. Before the grinding. After you did the threshing and the winnowing and the selecting, what do you do now? You make piles. And now when you finish making a pile, how do you know you finish making the pile? You smooth it out. That's called miruach. You smooth it out. Miruach hakeri. This is called Gemar Malacha and Halacha. You finish the processing. Now it's ready, you're ready to use, however you're going to use it. Till that point, it's not Mechoyev and Meiser. It's not obligated in Meiser. Miruach HaKeri. V'chol zman nimrach HaKeri, potim in HaMeiser. Why? Mipnei HaMoitz V'Ateven Shebehem. Because it's still mixed with moitz, with the chaff and the straw... The chaff and the straw are exempt from mice. Not only that, not only that, a person, even the chazal, allowed a person to snack from the grain, even if not achilas kva, which means to you to eat at a, as a regular meal. Which l'choyde you should be able to, because benatayr it's not mechayiv and mice yet. But the rabbi said uh, people could do it, and then they'll never give mice. But snacking they allowed 
people with snacks. Snacks in the olden days were not potato chips. Snacks were you took a kernel and you uh, and you ate it. Feasted. Huh? Feasted. Yeah. So the snack is fine. Ad miruach until it's smoothed out. And the reason is because the moits, even though it's very significant, it's only a shoimer, it's a guard, it's a protective. So when the chita is not ripe, you need to have it. Without it, it won't survive. Once it's ripe, now it's time to separate. So it's like a klipa, it's like a husk for a fruit. This is not a fruit, this is grain. But it's the same concept. The, the banana grows with a peel and the orange grows with a peel. What's the purpose of that peel? It protects it. The moment, it, as long as it's in the peel, it could last for a long time. The moment you take off the peel and you leave it around for a little bit and it becomes rotten and decadent. The grain also has a klipa, that's called a moitz. V'liyois ke'inyin ha'maiser. Meiser, the concept of Meiser is called Kodesh Ha'alyan. Kodesh Ha'alyan means the holiness of above. The Pasuk says about Meiser Behema, there was the animals that were born, and the tenth you gave also as Meiser. The Pasuk says in Bechul Kodesh The tenth should become holy. This is true in everything. In all of the worlds, in the tenth level, you'll have a special Gdusha. Because the beginning is etched in the end, so number ten is always etched in number one and above. This is enough. Therefore, Therefore, Meiser, what is Meiser? Meiser is when there's a conferring of Kedusha on the Meiser. Truma is holy. You're not allowed to eat it besides a Koyen. Meiser Rishon goes to a Levi. Meiser Sheni is holy, goes to Yerushalayim. Meiser Ani goes to the poor person. All Meiser represents a certain element of Kedusha. The part that you give away to others, to charity, to Hashem, and so forth. So that Kedusha is chal on the gufa pri, on the pri itself, not on the shelf, on the shaft, which is only a guard to the chit. Why? Because Kedusha doesn't dwell on that which is subservient, like the shell or the husk. It dwells on the pnimius, on the internal, on the truth. Shogufa chita, the wheat itself. Olakach, therefore. As long as the pile is not smoothened. So even the wheat itself, you don't have to give maiser because it's still mixed with the chaff. Shepoitram, it exempts it. It's not ready yet for the holiness of Meiser to be conferred on any part of it because it's still mixed in with the Chitzonius, with the external part. This is enough for the person who understands. So in other words, since Meiser represents that there is a certain conferring of holiness on the Chita, even the obligation of Meiser before you do it, it means that this part of the grain is now obligated, this grain is now obligated in the halachas of Meiser. 
So there's a certain holiness that attaches itself to the food, first in potential and then in actuality. Before you separate the truma and the miser, it's in potential. I didn't do it yet. But if you don't, it's called tevel. What's tevel? Tevel means tavloi. It's not good. It's not edible because you didn't separate the truma. When could this obligation begin? Only once you took away all of the externals because Kedusha will not dwell in Chitzonius. You will not find holiness in externalities. Holiness belongs to Pnimius, to truth, to the core, to the authenticity. And the, the, the Moitz is only a Heksher, it's only a Shomer, it's only external, it's not essential to the grain. And therefore at that point, the concept of Meiser doesn't yet apply to it. Once you finish what's called Gmar Malacha Miruach HaKeri, you smooth out the heap, now there's a Chiv and Meiser. So it's, it's a little bit more, that Kedusha will not attach itself to these Hofes and something which may be wonderful, but is... Right. Bored. Even the chit itself doesn't get the chi of Meiser because it's still enveloped and encased with the chitzonius. But this is a whole, this is very strange. How can we have the audacity to be so ungrateful to the chaff and say it's not the ikr, it's not the primary? It's called subservient. The ultimate lack of gratitude. Without the shaft, what would have happened to the chita? It would have been kaput, garnished, nothing. It would have never grown, it would have never developed, it would have been destroyed before it began. The whole reason it's alive, the whole reason we could benefit from it is because of the chaff. Now we look at the chaff and say, we don't need you. And as long as you're here, there's no kedusha. <laughs> the greatest lack of hakaris atoyf there is. I'm the one who brought you into the world. I took, I took on me all the, uh, all the heat, pun intended. Uh, yeah, yeah. And now you're, <laughs> yeah, this is what teenagers teach you, right? I took the blood, I took the sweat, I took the tears quite literally, I took the water, I took the heat, I took everything. For you, for you, you should be able to develop in safety and security. Now, Baruch Hashem, you became a big boy or a big girl. You ripened. Boom. You bring the animals and, uh, and, uh, and you disregard me. Not only that, there's no chiv and meiser until the moitz is gone, until the tevin is gone. Straw, they would use either for animal fodder or for fuel for fire. But what's the straw? The straw, what we call hay or stable, all these things were the parts that grew together with the stalks as shoimrim. Doesn't make sense? The answer is, we understand the answer. The Be'emes, it's not a stira. It's not a contradiction. Of course we're great. The Be'emes, the only reason it grew is because of the chaff. Because he absorbed the heat and the moisture. But you have to know when. What at some point in life has been survival, at some point in life becomes a distraction. That's the key. Ten days ago, this was vital. Without it, you couldn't live. Now, now it's psoilus. 
What's psoilus? Psoilus means it's the undesirable part which you remove. You can't eat it, can't do anything with it. I mean, you can use it for fuel, some of it you can use for animal fodder. But when you were growing, when you weren't ripe, when you were growing, when you were developing, the mites is called a crown. A Torah means a crown. It crowns the chita. Like a crown, literally, it's a crown that protects the head. When the Gemara says in Saita that Hamad Chachem needs a little gasus and you have to crown yourself with it, like the chaff to the stalk, we were looking for some marshal of something that's around you. If the Gemara was looking for a marshal, the Gemara, what did you have to go to a farm and talk about stalks? Why don't you say it should crown you like clothes on the person? Hamad Chachem himself wears clothes. So just like you wear clothes, so the grain has clothes. That's not what the Gemara was trying to say. For that, you don't need a marshal. That there's things that come with a wrapper. Every fruit comes with a wrapper. Not every, but many fruits. He's talking about a specific idea. That there's the concept of This Maimi doesn't stop saying It's enough for somebody to understand. So what do we see from here? We see from here one Nakuda. At one stage, something could be vital. Not only vital, it's essential for survival. It's not a nice uh, extracurricular addition. It's essential. If the chita disregards the mites too early and says, I don't need you, there's nothing left. On the other hand, afterwards... It becomes an unnecessary burden. Not only an unnecessary burden, if somebody says, this mites was so beautiful, I want to leave it there forever. I want it to remain there. What are you doing? <laughs> the whole purpose of the chita is not here. It has its stages. What at one stage is a klipa, that is not a klipa, it's essential, at another time becomes a klipa, which now has to be removed silence. And since the halachas of Maisha refer to the kedusha, the way it relates to the grain. And Kedusha is always, the big principle here is, that Kedusha is always shared on Pnimius, not on Chitzonius. Kedusha is always shared on, uh, on, 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 on the core, on the inside, not on the externals. So therefore, as long as the external is here, even though it was necessary, it's, uh, it's not Mechoyev and Maiser. You have sometimes a Shatchen, brings together uh, a chassan and a kala, and does a lot of work because it's not going so easily. So the shatchen, the shatchen has to negotiate with the chassan's family and the kala's family, and etc., etc., and once and twice and ten times, and there's twenty times, and, and push it ahead and ahead. And then after the wedding, who moves in with them to the house? The shatchen. They say, what are you doing here? And he says, I need a place to stay. And I thought, this is a wonderful house. They'll say, it's not really for you. Excuse me. I'm the one who made this whole shidduch. <laughs> Without me, you wouldn't have been here today. So I'm part of it. The answer is, it's true at a certain stage. The shatchen was very critical. But then at some stage, the shatchen has to move on. And if he said, I'm going to stay in the house forever, because I'm the one who's responsible for it, everybody understands the fallacy of it. So the mites was there essentially for the process of growth. And then that itself becomes a clip sometimes in life, as we will see. 
A person had to develop certain skills in order to survive. Those survival skills were very vital. As you mature and grow up, and you could be independent, those very skills that you employed become the greatest obstacle for you to be you. And you have to throw them out. You have to throw them out. The person says, how can I throw it out? This is how I survived. And the answer was, at a certain stage, that's why you have to have compassion towards it. You don't look at the mites without compassion. You have to look at it with compassion. Because this was so essential. But you have to also have compassion on the fact that now, if you keep the mites there, you're not doing what you do, what you got to do. You're keeping the chita completely not what it's for. It never realizes its purpose. Its purpose is not just to stand in a field or to stand in a granary without anything. Its purpose is to be able to extract the precious nutrients contained in it, to be able to feed yourself and your loved ones. So this is the depth of the marshal that the Chazal are saying. You learn now, you have to see. The Gemara is filled with mashalim like this. This marshal, that marshal. It's explaining the whole mahalach. What's pshat at Talmud Chacham needs to have a shminis of a shminis, an eighth of an eighth of gasas haruach, as we will continue. Bezer Hashem. Yeah. 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 This is not running counter to his usual thesis that Kedushin Gashmias and we spent years about you know Kedushin Gashmias and Avodah and Gashmias and he's putting this in Kitzonius here a little bit. The Kedush is only going to be short on the demons. We have a Gufa Gashmi, that's our vehicle. No, in a Hanami, but even the Gufa Gashmi, the Pnimius of it is this. Yeah, of course. The concept of the mites is chitzainius, the very concept of it. It's very raison d'etre is to be external, to absorb the the brunt of the heat and the... Good morning. Oh, wait, what's the, the, the first paragraph? This yichide lo and yichide tato. What, is, uh, what does that mean? Yichide lo and yichide It's only through a Talmud Chacham that what? It says in Zohar that the Shema Yisrael Hashem Alekeinu Hashem Echad and Baruch Shem Kved Malchus Elayim Vat. They represent two states of consciousness in understanding Hashem's unity. The first is called Yichud Elah, which means Yichud, yeah, Yichud, like Yachid, Echad, Yachid, and Meyuchad. Yichud Elah means a higher level of unity. Yichud Elah means a lower level of unity. So he doesn't get involved in explaining what these two types of unity are. But it represents the idea, you're not going to get to it in this Mimer, but uh, you'll get to it one day. So therefore... So, so, so the Ein Soiv dwells in the quality of Chachma. Because it dwells in the quality of Chachma, because of its bittel, because of its lack of ego, so therefore the oneness of Hashem is experienced most in the Talmud Chachem. In other words, the real definition of a Talmud Chachem is not somebody who has a lot of knowledge. It's somebody who is completely nullified in the infinity of God, without any vestige of ego. That's the definition of the Talmud Chachem. Talmud of Chachm. He's a Talmud of Chachm. of Chachm. It's a little bit of a different definition of a Talmud Chachm. I just thought you missed that point. So he doesn't elaborate what the two levels of unity are. Ruchim Abayim. Thank you. Thank you.
But don't quit after one day. I'll try not to. See Thank you. I wanted to ask, what, what would be one example of something that we get rid of? Ah, that's a good question. We'll, uh, we'll develop it. Yeah, we'll develop it at length. And you yeah, so why don't we get rid of it completely? The mites? No, is the mites supposed to be the... Oh, that's going to be the discussion. That's going to be the discussion. Very good. So why keep even a shminish and So We're going to discuss it. At some stage you don't have to, at some stage you do have to. Chachma? Aleph Dalad Nun Yud is usually associated with Malchus. It's not wisdom, no. It's kingship. I was going to say, the minute the person says, I don't know, that's space for wisdom. I guess it's not going to work. Oh, very good. I don't know. Okay, good morning, everybody, and welcome. Ruchim Aboyim. Good morning, and good Chodesh. According to many, is also other Rishon, not only other Shene. It says in Svarim that you have now 60 days of joy. In Allah, we have a concept called Bittul Bashishim, meaning if a drop of milk falls into your chalant, and there's a ratio of 60 to 1, right? So the forbidden substance becomes nullified in the 60. So it says, al is that the 60 days of other to others is mavatl, all uh, negativity and toxicity and trauma and fear and pain can get bottled in the 60 days of uh, of the Simcha of Chaydash So I want to bless you that we should all have the courage to be able to seize the opportunity and be mavatl b'shishim, whatever you have to be mavatl b'shishim. Just throw it into the to the pot of the sixty, and it will uh, it will get uh, subsumed, nullified, bottled. In a few moments, don't worry. Uh, uh, be careful what you ask for. But yet, yeah, always good to sing, to sing without, and even more to sing inside, to sing within. So let's summarize very briefly what we started to learn. It's a very fascinating Gemara. The Mesechta Saita Dafhei, Amar Aleph, Saita 5a. Tchamut Chachem, Tzarech Sheyeheboi, Shminis Shebeshminis. A student of Torah, or as he puts it, a Talmud of Chachma, a student of real wisdom, should possess an eighth of an eighth of haughtiness, of pride, of uh, of what's called in Lashon Kodesh Gasas Haruach, a certain form of I don't like the word arrogance, but haughtiness or pride. And the Chiddush of the Gemara is, as the Gemara puts it there, that this haughtiness crowns him, it it decorates him. Like the husk decorates the kernel. Like the, the sasa means literally a beard. The beard 
decorates the shibolus, the stalk of wheat, and the kernel inside of it. The beer decorates the kernel inside of it, it, it protects it, it covers it, it crowns it, inside. It's called skan, I told you Rashi brings skan hashibolus, the beard of the, of the shibolus. Here you have a picture. Here you have a picture. You'll see why it's called a beard. You see? Another picture. Another picture. I used to do PowerPoints in the olden days. Huh? Here you have the zooming in. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, the ikka is the top part because the, the lower part is called the stem. The stem of the wheat is hollow inside. That becomes straw. That's what straw. We say tevin, right? This is the straw, which could be used for fuel. It was used for fuel. It could be used for animal fodder and for similar uses. Sometimes people will plant wheat only for the straw. They're not interested in the food. But function, uh, historically, and in terms of t- talking about human need, the top of the the top of the of the stalk, the stalk is called the shibolus. The shibolus is called the stalk. The bottom is usually hollow, not usually always. The top, you see, this contains kernels, and every one of these there's a seed, there's a kernel. And when you extract the kernel, you can then grind the kernel into what we call flour, and that becomes the source of uh, all uh, foods that come from flour, wheat flour. Bread, cake, zoinus, hamoitzi, etc. So this is called the moitz. Moitz means the chaff. The chaff is the klipa, the husk around it. Particularly, if you see here, it's like they call it in English uh, a bristle, I think. Bristle, right? The stalk of wheat has a bristle around it, I think. That's what it's called. Yeah, bristle. B R I S T L E. You're an English teacher. And you're wearing a vest. And you're wearing a vest, yeah. <laughs> I believe it's 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 a, a bristle. It's like, you know what they are. You know these brushes, sometimes brushes with which you wipe down uh, parts of the house. They're made out of uh, material. They call it bristle. So it's 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 a pretty tough material around it. It's called bristle, and it's stiff. It's 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 pretty tough. This is called. The beard, you see here, there's hairs around it. That's why they called it skan hashibolus. The beard of the, of the stalk of wheat. And then you have the chaff. And inside you have, in each one of these, you have a kernel, you have a seed, which is the tachlis. That's the chita itself. And inside of it you have primarily, this, the kernel itself has different parts. The greatest part is called the, the endosperm, I think, from which we have our white flower. Huh? Our, our white flour and, and everything that comes with gluten, latoivia, or lamutav sometimes. When you say that the straw is the extraneous part and the beard is the, is the, the more important part, is there any deeper meaning to when part of which puts it the straw? Oh, of course. <laughs> Would you expect otherwise? In, 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 in Tanakh, you're asking about the straw of Parai and the Jewish people. There's a lot of significance to that. The significance to the fact that, if you remember, 
that Esav asked his father, when Chazal say that Esav deceived his father, what would he ask him? Ketzad ma'asrin, es ha-melach, ve'es ha-teven. How do you give tithe? How do you give miser from salt and from straw? This is what he was talking about. Okay, now, let's remember the process. So when the Gemara says, when you want to understand haughtiness, you have to study the beard of the stalk. The haughtiness is the beard of the stalk. It's basically the husk, the mites, the chaff around the kernel. Sometimes it's called mites, it's called chaff, it's called sasa in, in Aramaic, which means the beard, because particularly on top you have these beards, it's like the hair that flows, it's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty tough, it's pretty stiff, the bristle. Huh? means like chaff, which the wind casts away. Because since it's much lighter than the kernel, so when you throw it up into the wind, or even you put it in front of a fan, today a lot of people use fans, you put it in front of a fan, right? It will blow away the lighter part and separate it. Kamoitz, like the chaff, it's very light, that the ruach, the wind, casts away. So the question the Balatanya wants to know is, why did Chazal bring this marshal? What, what are they... What are they out to, 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 to explain to us? You could think they stop want to give a metaphor. So there's two things. First of all, what's stop to give a, they don't stop give metaphors to be entertaining. When they gave a parable or a metaphor, it was in order to elucidate the idea. It was in order, like we learned in the Maimah via Daita Moskva, to bring down the oil. The marshal was a lavush in order to to bring out, to illustrate, to concretize the idea that it should be understood by the human brain. So therefore, the question would be, what do we gain from this metaphor? Like, what is the metaphor teaching us? If it's just a case where there's a garment around that protects, so why do they find the beard of the beard, the beard, the, the, the beard of the of the stalk, the beard of the stalk of wheat? could talk about every person uh, wearing garments. And inside there's a body. You have to say there's a There's some depth that they're trying to convey through the marshal. And that was the focus. Now, in order to understand this. So here you have a wheat field. You can see the wheat field. Here we just zoomed in. You should be able to see the individual, the individual process. What happens? The first thing that happens is it's very important also, as I mentioned, for Hilchah Shabbos, because all the malachas of Shabbos revolve around, the first 11 malachas revolve around this process. The first thing you have to do is plant. If you don't plant, it can't happen. If it's plant, you have to plow. Those are the first two malachas, Chayrish and Zireah. I know, it says Zireah and Chayrish, but the Gemara wants to know why it says Zireah and Chayrish. First, you have to have Chayrish and Zireah. So the Gemara says that in certain soils... You have to plow, and then plant, and then you have to plow again. <laughs> so that's why. But, but but since I wasn't getting into it, we're not learning Masech to Shabbos now, so I just said plowing and planting. But I know the order of the Mishnah. I don't. <laughs> you did. You made a comment, which was a good comment. I'm not, I'm not, I don't mind your comment. Adirab, a very good comment. Don't feel bad that you made the comment. Say the Gomor. All comments are welcome, even if they don't make sense. Certainly in your case, it made a lot of sense. All the comments make sense in their own context. 
So the first thing is you got to plow and you got to plant. Then it grows. After it grows, what happens? After it grows, you have to harvest. That's called kaitsa, you harvest. So you harvest a bunch of these. Now you have to, you're not going to deal with each one separate. It can take you a year. So you do ma'amr, you do bundles. People don't realize when they learn the malachas of Shabbos, they don't realize the logic because they were never in farms or fields. Even children, when they learn Mishnayis, they're sitting in a building somewhere in Borough Park or in Brooklyn, they never saw wheat. That's why it's important to see the reality and then it becomes alive. You can understand it much better. So <clears throat> even these modern people learn that you have to understand the reality. If not, you, if you don't understand the, the, <laughs> the outside, you can't understand the inside. You have to push it, see the mosh. What happens after after harvesting? You make piles. You bring them together. It's called ma'amer. Now comes one of the most important processes, and this is called disha, threshing. What is threshing? You could do it with your hand. You could take a flail. You could take a stick. You can even take your hand. You start punching it, basically. Disha means punching. You start punching. What happens when you punch this? What do you think happens? This is what happens. See how professional we are today? <laughs> this is what happens. You start pushing, punching. Here's the beard. Here's the beard, and the beard uh, got emptied out. <laughs> this is the mites. The guy punched it out. There's a kernel in each one. These are all filled with kernels. They all fall out. That's what this is. You can do it with your hand. You can do it with a stick. You can do it with a broom. You can do it with a flail, as people do. You can do it with your feet. The classic case of threshing when you had a big farm or field was with animals. You took animals. And you had them go around and around, just stepping on it, stepping on it, and stepping on it. When you step on it, you extract, by definition, automatically you extract the seeds, the kernels, which is the primius, from the mites. From the ch- However, this is not complete yet. Why? Because this is very super, it's still superficial. You have to go to step two. The chaff is still mixed in everywhere. This, the kernels are here, but there is still psilus inside of them. The here is then what we're calling here. The bristle husks are there and pieces of the chaff. So you have the next step. They would put it something today. They'll put it in front of a fan. I mean, today that if it's a big if it's a big company, you'll have machines already. They would winnow it, throw it up, and that's where it says kemites ruach And the ear does the job of separating, so the kernels fall back down, and the chaff flies away. Sometimes people should do it in front of a fan. And this chaff goes away. That's the next step that's forbidden on Shabbos. It's called Zoyre. So you have Koitzer. I hope you'll remember this because I'm trying to explain the logic. You harvest, you make sheaves, bundles, you thrash, dosh, and Zoyre, you winnow. When your child comes home with Mishnayis, Masechta, Shabbos, Perik, Zion, you'll be able to help them or your grandchild. Or yourself. We always talk about the children. <laughs> Better projection. Zaira is winnowing. That's what Zaira is. Winnowing means thrown into there. So now, now you have the kernels. Great. You have the kernels. We're ready. No, no, no. The kernels are still usually mixed with stuff. Because from all the... You have pebbles. You have dirt. And so now you have boirer. This is the classic case of boirer. What's boirer? You select. You separate. Boirer. The word birur, borur, it's all the same idea. Avoidus habirurim, right? You have to do birurim. You have to clarify, crystallize, separate, remove the dirt, remove the psalas. That's also forbidden on Shabbos. Every one of these is forbidden on Shabbos because this is the process of work. 
the main work of agriculture. What happens after after Bayer? After Bayer, now you have kernels. Now you're good. So what do you do? You make a pile. You bring them together. You can have a thousand kernels, ten thousand kernels. You make a mountain, and then you do one last thing: you smooth it out. That's called miruach hakeri, memareach miruach. You smooth it out. It should be nice and organized. You don't want kernels all over the place. You bring it together. You make it nice. This is called gemar malach. You finish the work. You didn't do the baking yet. You didn't do the grinding yet. But you finished the what's called processing of the wheat. From wheat to kernels, you're gone. You're done. Now you're good. Once this happens in halacha, the status changes. It's now mechuyev in trumas and maestros. You're now obligated to give tithes. Chazal learned this out. It says, reish is degoncha. You have to give truma tithing from the beginning of degoncha means your grain. Dogan is grain. But from when mishaz digunai, from when it's complete and smoothed out. Because that's Kemar Malacha, that's when it's done. Memareach. Yeah. Yeah. Then comes, you want, you, want, you want bread. You need bread. So then comes step, the next step. You'll take a few, you'll take a pile of kernels, you'll grind them, you'll put them in the mill, or however you grind them. Usually a mill, you need something to grind them. And basically... They develop into flour. You have flour? Once you have flour, you'll do again boirer. You'll sift the flour. That's called merakeit. That's the next malacha. After you grind it into flour, you want to sift the flour because the flour can also have in it psoilus. So you sift the flour. Now you have clean flour. What's the next step? Lush. Now you knead the flour with water. That's also malacha. And what's the next step? You have a dough. What do you do with the dough? You bake it, oifer, that's it, finished. That finishes the whole section of the first 11 malachas of Shabbos. Clear, yeah? So this is the step of Dishav threshing. Comes Esav, and what does Esav say? Ketzad ma'asrin es ha-melech ha-teven. How do you give ma'asrin from straw? And Yitzhak is like, wow, he's a special boy. <laughs> What's so special about this question? Everybody can ask how you give Meiser from straw. What's special about it is that straw is potter for Meiser. <laughs> straw is exempt for Meiser. Why? Because anything that's not edible for people is potter for Meiser. If it's just an animal food or it's used for another purpose, not for food, it's exempt for Meiser. So as a result of that, you're not mechuyiv to give maiser from tevin. You can have a lot of straw. You don't have to separate any of it and give it to the kayan or the levi or the poor person who is alive. But Esav was so frum. Esav was so holy. He was so religious. He's like, how do you give maiser from straw? As the Mepharshim asked an interesting question. Yitzchuk should have said, Esav, you never learned that you don't give maiser from straw. Instead of being impressive, really... You would think it would be unimpressive. How do you know that you don't give mice from a straw? He didn't say, do you give? He said, how do you give mice from a straw? Okay, it's a separate sugi. We could say there's no mitzvah to be proved. Before Matan Torah, yeah. So now what happens is, so Tevin is potter for mice. What's Mechoyev and Meiser? The kernels. But when? Only after you remove the mites, after you remove the beard and, the, and the everything. 
So what do we have from here? What's the conclusion? These are the these are the facts that the that the, that the, every farmer knows, and the Alter Rebbe points them out briefly. The facts of life as they relate to stalks of wheat and all grain according to its own structure. Here we're talking about wheat. What's the purpose of the beard? What's the purpose of the stiff bristle? What's the purpose of the husk around the kernel? And the answer is, because in order to grow and develop, we want the seeds, we want the kernels. What do we need? The kernel requires sunlight. And the kernel requires rain. You have to have, of course, soil, carbon, sunlight, and rain. The problem is that sunlight and rain are also its the greatest threats to its survival. You need sunlight. Without sunlight, you're not going to have the whole process of photosynthesis. You're not going to be able to grow. Without rain, it won't have the basic nutrients it needs to develop. But if the kernel was exposed, if the Rebbeinu Shalom would have made, that the stalk grew, and you wouldn't have to go through. This is not an easy process. We go to the store today, we buy bread. It's not how it used to work. So we, we, we don't even know the people that do it. Nobody even knows. We don't appreciate the process. Today you have the end result. You don't appreciate what it takes. But if the kernels were exposed to its, the sources of its own nourishment, what would happen? It would be scorched by the heat. It would be burnt and destroyed by the intensity, by the intensity of the heat of the sunlight, and it would rot as a result of the abundant moisture and rain falling on it. Hence, Mother Nature, coming from Mother God, has given us the husk. What's the husk? The husk is rough, it's tough, it's a hard shell, which encases, it protects, and it it stands as a cover for the kernel, or in the case of fruit, as he says, it's the klipa, the shell that protects the pre the fruit. And what does that husk do? It bears the brunt of the sun's rays. So the brunt of the heat hits the kernel, hits the, the husk instead of the kernel. And the kernel has, as we would say in English, thick skin. <laughs> That's what he's made for. What else does he do? The, the husk also deflects the drops of water falling from the sky, falling from above. The kernel would take it all in and it would rot. When you have the husk, it takes the brunt of the heat of the sun rays and it deflects the water that falls on it. So the husk shields the kernel from the sun and rain, but not completely, while absorbing enough energy and moisture to sustain it and fuel its growth. It doesn't get rid of the sun and get rid of the water, but rather it gets enough. It gets enough sunlight and that's why every one of these growths needs its leaves, which are usually the absorbance of the sunlight, and channeling enough in order to be able to sustain its growth. Then comes the day of harvest. What happens on the day of harvest? You have koitzer. The grain has ripened, or the fruit has matured. And now it's fit to fulfill its function as food. It became ripe or as fodder, or as seed, whatever the nature of the growth is. Now the husk is not an asset. Now the husk is a blocker. Now the husk is an impediment. If you say, I want the mites now, you're not allowing yourself to get to the next process, therefore it's broken open, it's peeled off, and it's discarded. 
Sometimes these things fall off on their own parts. Rashi says in sight that the Daskana Shebelis falls off on its own. Sometimes you have to beat it, and that's what we spoke about threshing and winnowing, etc., but that's all the process. And only after that will it become a chuyiv in Meiser. Why? Why? And we understand why. Meiser represents something that's the tachlis of it, the food. Till then, it's not yet edible, so therefore there's no chiyav Meiser. So Meiser can only happen after the Meitz is removed, after Gemar Malach. The Alter Rebbe wanted to understand how could you dismiss the beard of the stalk so easily? How could you discard it? How could you turn it into psoilus? When it was the key of survival, it was the ta- it was the only way you survived. It was the hype mechutin, as they would say in Yiddish. It was everything. How do you now call it? Tuffle, subservient, irrelevant, psoilus, even garbage. Psoilus means garbage. How do we have the audacity to do that? And his answer is, you have to look at stages. Timing is of essence. It's always about timing. When the kernel was busy developing and maturing, then to discard the chaff would mean what? It would mean destroying it, sentencing it to death. Sentencing the growth to death. Not only is it an accessory, it's nice, it's extra credit, it's essential, it's vital. Why? Because of the forces of nature would destroy it, scorch it, destroy it, rot it, cause it to decay and decompose and it would never have a chance to become what we want it to become. That's stage one. And that's when it's extremely essential, it's critical, it's indispensable, it's vital. It's vital to survive. However, once it's ripe, once it developed, once it became what it has to become, now, to leave it on and say, look, how beautiful, this is your crown, this is your decoration, this is your key for survival. You're actually impeding it. You're actually not allowing a person to benefit from the great purpose of why we planted the wheat, or any grain, or any tree, or any legume seed initially. And those two stages are critical to understand. In other words, what in one stage is survival and life, the key to life, in another stage becomes what? Becomes a klipa. It becomes a shell and a husk that's made to be discarded. On the contrary, it invites itself to be discarded. It looks at you and says, I've done my job. Have a good day. The shatchin after the chuppah. I've done my job. Go, let's go to the next couple. Or potential couple. I've done. Now it's time to say goodbye. And that's what happens to the mites. It's always about stages. It's always about timing. Based on this introduction, we can now understand a little bit of the depth of the marshal. Why Chazal talk about haughtiness and they say, a, a student of Torah has to have an eighth of an eighth, a Talmud Chagam, an eighth of an eighth of pride. We don't just say an eighth of an eighth. We say, it de- should decorate him. It's like a terrace, a crown. It's a decoration. Like the beard to the to the like the beard to the stalk, like the husk to the kernel, like the chaff to the wheat. Now we'll understand they weren't just giving a mushal. They were actually conveying the essence of it. And here we come to pay to uh, pay the gimel of the Maim, 
And this is unique, and I'm going to say this as an intro. I want to learn in sub, but I want to say one word as an intro. One of the great tensions that people often experience is what is the relationship between the self, self-confidence, let's call it the tension between self-confidence and religion. For very many people, somehow, the way they processed religion or faith or Judaism or Amunah or Yiddishkeit, whatever the name is, was as something that in their own experience and their own psyche and their own perception completely delegitimized their own identity. Whether it was their, their own way of understanding things, whether it was the way things were communicated to them, whether it was parenting or schooling or community or culture or different personal experiences, but in their mind there is either you serve God or you serve yourself. And they were taught, what does it mean to serve God? To serve God means that you don't exist. And the more you don't exist, the better Jew you can be. In other words, the more you know how to beat yourself up, the more you know how to look in the mirror and say, you see this thing? This thing is nothing. This thing is really valueless. Then the closer you can get to truth. Because what's the worst thing in life? The ego, the arrogance, the haughtiness, the hedonism, the narcissism, the self-centeredness. And this is true within the entire Jewish world, I think. And generally the entire world. What's the relationship between self-confidence and duty, responsibility? What's the relationship between who I am and what my uh, calling is? To be or not to be, that is the question. Or to be or to be not, that is the question. Particularly those who have tasted, either superficially or even more in depth, the language, the jargon of the world of Mahshav and Chsidis, where there is a very charged term that's always used, and it's called Bittel. <laughs> Bittel. And everybody knows what's Bittel. The translation of Bittel in all the English translations is self-nullification, right? It's one of the first English words we had to learn. Self-nullification. What's self-nullification? Nobody still knows what self-nullification is. But it sounds like Bittel. Or the concept is nullify. Nullify means to make it nothing, obliterate it. The more Bittel, we always say, the closer to God. The more Bittel, the closer to truth. In other words, the more nothing, the better. The less nothing, the worse. Like chametz, bittel chametz. What's bittel chametz? You say it's ka'afredar, it's like offer. Really, we would like it to be less than offer, but we <laughs> it fart exists, so we use it, offer. The Rambam has a lotion, kedover she'im b'yitzorich klau. And hulchus chametz amat, so what's bittel? Ka'afredar amamash, it becomes offer. The Rishonim say that because you look at it like Afar, it becomes Afar in terms of halacha. Augmented reality. You look at it like Afar, it becomes Afar. So if you look at yourself like Afar, you'll take it become Afar. And by Hamas, it doesn't always work. By people, somehow it works. (laughs) 
By Chomets, the Chazal were afraid it's not going to be Velev Shalom, you're not going to mean it, it's fart a nice bottle of brandy, and it's not really offer, it's fart, and that's why they made you do B'dikah and beer. But by people, somehow it works very well. <laughs> if you tell yourself you're like offer, you're not going to become like offer. Your wife says, you're saying your wife reinforces the message. <laughs> Okay, some husbands also reinforce the message. I told you once, no? Rabbi Eizel Kharif, the Slonim Irav, his wife asked him, Erev Pesach, in the morning if he got rid of all the chametz. So he said, I got rid of all the chametz, but there's one piece of chametz that I've been married to for 40 years, I can't get rid of it. So she said, you don't have to worry, that chametz my father sold to a guy. Many, many years ago. Yenish tikhamitz at my tatafa kaift to a goy gomer. You really don't have to worry about that. This tension is not a simple tension. It's, it's, a, it's a sensitive one. It's a complex one. Now, I have spoken about it many times because it's fundamental. And I find it fundamental because I have found teaching many years that when people hear the words, they often misinterpreted based on their own experience. It's very rare that uh, the, the very authors of these teachings should address this tension so blatantly. And probably one of the most uh, explicit places where the Alter Rebbe addresses this tension is in this Mimer. So it's not just a toire, it's a taich, it's a shir, it's a, it's a vort, it's mamish, the Mimer itself addresses it. And the reason I was so elaborative about the illustration, and the Al Rebbe is so elaborate, he's usually not so elaborate about Mishalim with, with agriculture, because he relied that people knew what we're talking about, is because it's the marshal that conveys perfectly the nimshal here. It's very hard to see a marshal that is as perfect. It's mamish, sometimes a marshal, it's a good illustration, right? We spoke a lot about Rav and Talmud. So it's not such a tangible marshal. For that, you have to have a good teacher and a good student. And how many people had such teachers and how many people were such students? That's why the marshal of a Rav and Talmud, for somebody who had a real Rebbe and was a real Talmud, it's a great marshal. But it's still an intangible marshal. Here, you could see it with your eyes. You could see it. So even people today with ADD and ADHD who can't understand abstract mashalim, but this, this is the real thing. So the Marshall Mamash illustrates it. And the fact that Chazal, 1700 years ago, 1800 years ago, in Gemara, or 1600 years ago, in Mesech Tesaita, used this Marshall to define the Shminis Shabishminis, shows how in that Marshall they were conveying this very message. What is the message? So let's see. V'hinei Hanimshal Siv Gimel, yeah? V'hinei Hanimshal Mikolza Yuvan Bavaydas Hashem. The marshal we explained. The nimshal will now be understood. We spoke, what is the definition of a Talmud Chacham in its epitome? We don't call him a Chacham. We call him a Talmud of Chacham. Why? He is the person, he is his, the Balatanya's description of a Talmud Chacham. He's moved by love and awe. Why? Because of his awareness. 
in Chachma. What does it mean, awareness of Chachma? Pchin is bitl. He's completely aware of the infinity, of the truth of infinity. Ein Soif is manifested in Chachma, in the quality of Chachma, which is the creative power that allows for an epiphany, a new flow of energy, and therefore it represents the complete openness to the pers- of the person, to that which transcends him. And hence the Talmud Chachem is moved by love and awe. What then is the nimshal of the stalk? Of the gufa chita. Gufa chita means the core of the chita. Guf here doesn't only mean the body, it means the guf, the etzem, the core of the chita, which is that which is inside the chita. The guf means the, the pnimius, like the core. What's the mushroom? It would have been destroyed, it would have been burnt up, or it would have rotted and become decayed without the mites, without the chaff. What is this? We see any person who begins serving Hashem. And the beginning of Avoidus Hashem is always. The Gemara says in Tainus, Tfila davening is called an Avoid Shabalev. Why is it called Avoid Shabalev? Avoid Shabalev means in Hartson or Mitten Hartson. It's an Avoid in the heart and with the heart. But anybody who begins a real relationship with God, what is a real relationship? Real relationship with God doesn't mean talk, conversation, it doesn't only mean ritual. It starts off with Avoid Shabalev Zutfila. It starts off expressed. In, in, in a relationship of davening. What do we mean here by davening? We're not saying just a person goes through words. Avoid the Avoid with the heart and in the heart. Anyone who starts, E.F. Shalom. It's impossible to start Avoid the Sashem. I have to say, these are incredibly unique words. E.F. Shalom. Biltiyem Tzos Midois Hagasos. You can't begin Avoid the Sashem if there's no sense of I. If there's no sense of what he calls him midas hagasus, which is a very coarse expression, midas hagasus means the attribute of gasus. Gasus literally means, ah, uh, huh? coarseness, haughtiness, what we would call egotism. Gasa ruach is a thick spirit, a dense ruach. It's dense, it's thick. Midas hagasus. Pshat. What do I mean? Why are you saying this? Doesn't avoid this Hashem mean you're serving Hashem? Not up arrogant. He says, I don't mean you're arrogant in the sense that you're a narcissist. That's not Avodah Hashem. That's narcissistic personality disorder. Or hedonism or selfishness. What do we mean by gasas? He explains. The person has to experience himself, make himself, understand himself as a yesh. Yesh means something. Dovarma means an existence. Why? To be able to tell himself that this is what I need. In other words, there's an I who has needs. <laughs> there's an I who is looking for something. And there's somebody who's serving. The relationship is valuable. There's somebody here. There's somebody here. Who is that person? Me. Chuli, v'chuli, etc. In other words, there's a lot to elaborate. Preventing himself from avoid Hashem is going to bother him. Why is it going to bother him? 
I don't want to be separated. I don't want to be gypped from life. I don't want to be deprived of something so meaningful, of something so valuable. In other words, in simple English, I see my life as valuable, and therefore I want to suck the marrow out of my life. I want to actualize myself. I want to be the ultimate person who I am. I want to live my life to the fullest. I don't want to be separated. I don't want to be detached. I don't want to be empty. I don't want to live an empty life. I want to live the best life possible. I want to actualize myself. If you don't have value, if you don't think that you have value, all these equations can't come into the picture. So this is a very deep underlying premise that fuels the beginning of Avedis Hashem. Now this could be with true desire, a true desire. Apparently, this is a very, very deep. He really wants to be close and doesn't want to be far from Hashem. This is called gasus. It's called haughtiness. Why? Because he's considered in his own lives, he's considered as something, as something significant. He actually believes that his life can do something. There's something real here. It's a relationship. Imagine somebody is proposing, wants to get engaged, met somebody, so they propose, right? The night before engagement, they go out to, I don't know, wherever they go out, and this person wants to propose. And he says, before, but before, he says, I have to give an introduction. I'm nothing. I'm valueless. What I do means nothing. What I say means nothing. I'm an absolutely nobody. I'm sick, I'm dysfunctional, I should have been dead years ago. There's nothing to me, there's nothing significant about me. Would you like to marry me? (laughs) There's something off, right? You say, why? It's a beautiful thing. The guy has no ego, he's not going to be narcissistic, whatever she wants he's going to do. The greatest thing she should say, of course I want to marry you. But you'll see she's going to come home to her mommy and say, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? What's what's wrong with this? The best of bitl of the belt. I got no needs. I don't even exist. I barely exist. I was told I don't exist, and it's true. It looks like I exist in the pictures, but there's nothing there, really. You call the shots. You tell me. I, I'm Kama Robot. The best in the world. I'm a Chaya. No issues with ego. No issues with pride. No issues with arrogance. He's never going to disagree. It's a dream of every wife, no? Huh? Oh, yeah, yeah. What type of experiencing are you having? Experiencing are you having? We should talk. Or the wife. Or the wife tells the husband, I would love to marry. I just have to tell you something about me. I mean, not the husband yet. The husband, the potential husband. I'm nothing. I have... I, the I, I'm not even sure I exist. The best thing? Wonderful. It's like being married to yourself. Shalom bias is perfect. You get a tax discount, even though it's, it's a, you, never, you, never, you never fight. It's a beautiful. But everybody understands everybody's going to run away from this. Why are you going to run away from this? Anybody wants to answer the question? It's going to be a hot Huh? 
There's no relationship. <laughs> you can't have a relationship with nothing. If a person really believes, I don't matter, I'm a shmata, and all the trauma I existed conform, confirms the authentic truth. Ich bin a garnish, but not a garnish, I'm a big zero. And as, as somebody once told me, as somebody once told me, that somebody once told him, as a child, he said, you're a zero. As many, as many zeros as you'll add, you're always adding zeros and zeros and zeros, and the beginning is always a zero. And what you add will always just add up to more zeros, and you can have a thousand zeros, and it's not less zero than one zero. In other words, I'm building what we would call a castle out of uh, out of sand, the house of cards. There's not, nobody here, there's nothing here. So it doesn't mean Hashem. Avaydis Hashem means I'm serving, that means there's value to it, something is happening, there's a relationship, you care about it. <laughs> I'm bringing something to the table. There's an eye that is valuable. Alter Rebbe calls this gasos. Not We're not talking narcissism. Relationship. A relationship requires that there's an eye. Nechshev be'ein of le'ezadovor. He looks at himself as something. Through my avoid, I'm going to get close. There's, there's something valuable. And next, and God cares. He wants it. Avaidus Hashem means it's an achasruach. Achasruach means he enjoys it. He appreciates it. My my existence means something. My decisions mean something. My life means something. That's the genesis of all avaidus Hashem. My life doesn't mean anything if I'm a shmata. He says he can't begin avaidus Hashem. There's nothing here. Nobody here. Just a traumatized robot, a lifeless corpse. A dead man walking. There's a word from the Kotsky Rebbe. So a very powerful idea. He said, Vazay rufin prikas oil ruf ich atzvos. What many people call prikas oil, what does prikas oil mean? You remove the yoke of God, you're a frivolous, promiscuous person. I call depression. The minute you don't have that, you love it. Precursor, I don't want God. I don't tell me what to do. I'm a free person. I'm a depressed person. I want to sleep all day. I don't want to do anything. Don't tell me. I don't see real value in my life. If I don't see real value in my life, let me just... So now you want me... I should restrict myself. If it's a homeless, it's a type of value. Let's say a, a billionaire, he has a lot of value. But he's... Uh, okay. That's your relationships. Fine. That's the opposite. That's the opposite. But really, you're asking a person who has a lot of value, but no relationships. They've just become a self-centered, isolated egomaniac. It's really the same thing. <laughs> it's really the same thing. The depth of arrogance is usually the depth of insecurity. Usually the depth of arrogance is the depth of insecurity. Huh? You're asking a good question. Why would God need that? Okay. But for some 
odd, crazy reason he created this world. So he was looking for something. However you have to explain this. Yeah, he, he wanted it. <laughs> I didn't force him to create the world, and my mother-in-law also didn't. But he wanted it. He wanted it. The whole Chumash, if you read Chumash with this perspective, whenever God says, if you don't, if you don't, this, what you have to hear in it is, wow, I mean a lot to this God. To this God. Like, what? It matters. Baruch, well, well, I don't understand. If you're as big as they make you, first of all, relax. <laughs> the basis of all of Judaism is that your life has some extraordinary value. Not just value to another person whom you can support. Value to the source of all reality, which is surprising. <laughs> it's like, really? You have nothing better to do than have a relationship with me? But if I don't have that, if I don't have that, that's what we call atzvus. It's a form of sadness, which a lot of people have in a very deep way. They may not walk around sad, but deep down, their lives don't really matter. Their lives are insignificant. And I feel that my avoider can change me. Something is happening with me. And there's an achas ruach. And then I could feel the opposite also. Without avoider, there's a distance. There's a pain. There's something missing. There's the opposite of nachas ruach. And again, I'm going to use the metaphor of a marriage. <laughs> Both ways. Both ways. If a husband tells a wife, or a wife tells a husband before they get married, I want to tell you something about me. There's nothing you can do that will insult me. Nothing. You know why? I don't need you. <laughs> I don't need you. I'm perfect without you. So why are you here in my house? I'm Pashat nice. I'm Pashat a nice guy. But I have garnish nothing. A husband, wow, best marriage in the world. You can leave whenever you want, come whenever you want. But there's something off about it, right? There's something off about it. Why? I'm free! I'm free. It means there's no relationship. You can't affect me. On the other hand, if somebody says, whatever you do will never be enough. People do that. Well, never, there's just nothing. It's like, it's like pouring water into a bottomless, uh, a bottomless bucket. I can tell you a thousand times I love you. Nothing goes in. You know why? There's no floor. There's no foundation. Pour and pour and pour and pour goes right out. If the core of self is not there, you could pour and pour and pour and pour, and nothing stays. Why? There's nothing there. When you say, I love you, I don't believe there's a you. I don't believe I exist. That means when you're saying I love you, you can't mean it, because you also know that I don't exist. That means you're lying to me. So now I hate you even more. Which is why sometimes the people who are kindest to us becomes our, become our greatest enemies. Because we can't believe what they're saying is true. Because I'm such a nobody. It's impossible that you love me. And if you love me, you're, you're really bad. I can't trust you. You really make bad decisions. Huh? You're manipulating me. You just want, so, ah, so you want my money because I have a Yerusha. And that's it. And we cut off relationships. Why? Because I'm processing everything through dysfunctional thoughts. Which is normal, by the way, as long as you identify it. As long as you can laugh at yourself and say, wow, that's funny. person came to me, tried to help me, 
and they became a criminal in my own eyes. As long as you can identify it and then laugh and say, I'm pretty traumatized, then you're good. Then you're good. Then you're doing boirer. That's all. That's what boirer is. We always speak about boirer. Boirer is, you identify. This is psoilus, this is not. This typhus, good stuff, yeah? The basis of life, the basics of life. You wonder why they didn't tell this to you when you were six? Huh? What'd they tell you, the opposite? However we define the need, it's, a, it's an important shi. What does it mean Hashem needs? But the words he uses here, it's l'nachas ruach l'mayla. It's cherished. It's cherished. He created a world. <laughs> However we understand and explain. That's, he says, this is the haschal of all avodas Hashem. There's no avodas Hashem without this haschal. In other words, if there's no tzuras Adam, if you're not an Adam, if there's no tzuras Adam, if you're not a, if you don't look at Moida Ani Lefonecha, Moida Ani Lefonecha. I start with Moida, but who's Moida? Ani. If the Ani is a shmata, piece of garbage, a, a low life, a piece of filth, stay in bed. <laughs> That's what people do. They stay in bed. So the so the pinnacle, you're a pinnacle. The cuts because you're not a pinnacle. You're depressed. <laughs> Wrong diagnosis. Pinnacle, you're staying in bed. He's not a pinnacle. He's depressed. There's not nobody to get up. Who do you want to get up from bed? You need somebody to get up bed. You want the mattress to stand up. You want the mattress to have tchiyas amesim. He's part of the mattress. You know, some people they. They click onto the mattress. They become the hefts of the mattress. Who do you want to get out of bed? The mattress? He became a mattress. That's what he is. That's not precursor. It's atzvos. And if you don't address it, you're not addressing what's going on. There's nobody to get up. Who should get up? A loser? Why should a loser get up? To lose again? (laughs) You don't stand up to lose. You stand up to win. You have to win, you have to lose as a winner, not as a loser. You understand what I'm saying? The antidote to is to come to these shiurim. Okay. Huh? Yes, 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 yes. We're not getting into the question how Hashem needs. That's a good question. What I... There's a lot of ways of explaining it. Right, so whenever anybody connects based on their not being good, it's not a real connection, you understand? It's an easy way to do yeah. I tell you, since you're such a nothing, so the only way is connect to me. So what happens? You don't connect to me. I just control you. You say you become an evadavadim. Because you're a nothing, therefore connect to me. I'll protect you. I'll turn you into something. So then what happens? You become a complete victim. I'm like a dictator. That's not a relationship. It's an evet. Huh? That's what Avoy Zara does. 
Depends what type of king. <laughs> the Mormon king had to have more more uh, humility than anybody else. The Gemara says in Brachas Tavchav Beis that when a king Davin Shmenasra says Baruch Ata, so we by Hashem we lift up our heads, Baruch Ata, and, and it stays up. The king had to go Baruch Ata and stay down till the end of Shmenasra. The king, only the king. If you came into a shul, yeah, and Shloima Melech was davening, so to speak, I mean, they didn't have Shmenesra yet, but uh, I'm just giving a marshal, yeah, everybody would be Azoi, and he would be all the way down. <laughs> Why? Where's the covet? The answer is Fakert. Because he has so much power, he has to have much more humility. Because if not, it's dangerous. Huh? Hamelech, the Gemara says, Kivon Shekara Shuv Enezoikov. He la he ni ah. No no kara kara kneels or bows down If He doesn't pick up his head till the end of davening. Why? The Rambam says in Ilchus Malachim, kashem that the melech has to be exalted and respected. He has to be a shval ruach. He has to be very humble. What does that mean? That we even in Bayesheni, they had Malchi Hashmanayim, all the Malachim. Whoever the Melech Yisrael was, when he bows down, he has to stay down. Because a Melech needs more Bittl, more Avdus. If not, it's dangerous. The king is not above the law. The moment the king is above the law, he's not a king, he's a dictator. That's the beauty of, of Malchus by Yiddishkeit. David HaMelech did something, right? Nosin Anavi came to him. The prophet spoke truth. David HaMelech didn't say, kill Nosin Anavi. Another king, you come into the king and you said, why'd you sin? You go out with a head shorter. Go into Achashverich and tell him, why'd you sin? You go out with a head shorter. A king is not above the law. It's a revolutionary idea. I'm sorry, what'd you say? Oh, I said, even the way the Torah is the first thing that you are nothing is something you're saying that every authority you knew, the beginning was um, everything and you're nothing. Yeah. And that's one of the greatest mistakes in education. It's one of the greatest mistakes in education. It's a traumatizing error, and it often results in catastrophic consequences. I mean, there's kids with tough skin, so they survive because they have a good mites. <laughs> they have a good, they have a good shaft. But what? This is going to be the whole maimah. What if the kernel is not developed yet, and you get rid of the mites? What's that? What's geshet? There's nothing left. There's no seed left. You burnt up the seed, or you made it rot. You made it rot, and we'll see what those two things mean. But that's what happens because the kernel is not developed. Unless if people sometimes come from a good house, or the mother gives it, the father gives it, it's also helpful. But when they have neither, and the definition of authority you're saying is, I'm everything and you're nothing, then it's, um, it's, it's actually taking away from the experience tremendously, besides the negative results. It doesn't even add to respect. It's a... There's no respect, there's nobody here. It's just. <laughs> so to say a lot of Hasidic kids, the way they grew up, this was actually helping them further in life, in business or anything else. They have this sort of chutzpah that because they got 
and that can happen so many times and they pick themselves up in their own way, in their own level. <laughs> That's the tough people. The tough people. You're saying those who survived became real estate magnates. Yeah, but the pap. However, but with their children, they usually go back to what they experienced because that's what they know. Then they have a fixed husk that never get rid of. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at triple w dot the yeshiva dot net slash donate